is just physical. Sex is just physical. Uh, how, how many of you know that that, that is a lie? <laughs> uh, man, there, as we did this series, Lies About Love, and I kind of planned it out, there was, honestly, this one was the hardest because there are so many lies about sex. It was just like, throw a dart and pick one, right? And so I just picked sex is, is just physical. We're gonna see that in 1 Corinthians today. If you wanna buy, grab a Bible right now, you can do that. Get God's word in front of you. We need the word of God in our world, in your life. Get God's word in front of you. 1 Corinthians chapter seven is where we're gonna be. In 1 Corinthians chapter six, uh, Paul is quoting the Corinthian people and something they had written to him. And they, they say, hey, just like uh, food is for the stomach, uh, the, the stomach is for food. And kind of what they're saying, it's around this conversation about sex is sex is just this appetite, this physical craving that we should fulfill. And you see that a few thousand years ago in the book of 1 Corinthians, you, you see that now. Uh, you see it in our music, you see it in our movies, I mean, I, I remember growing up and just uh, all I thought about was the physical component of sex. I remember even as I approached marriage and looking forward to sex and marriage, a lot of what my mind meant, went to was how it would work physically. How many times a day would we do it? Where would we do it, right? I mean, I'm not the only one in here who did that. You know, you did that too. And because we think about the physical act of sex. And even in scripture, yeah, it's this idea of the two becoming one flesh in marriage. And so there's, there's partially a reason for that. Like God straight up calls it what it is, like flesh, like coming together. It is a physical act. Except we know in the Bible and in experience, it's way more than physical. It's emotional. It's vulnerable. It's the most personal thing that you can share with another human. And yet many of us, we operate on this idea that, that sex is just physical amongst several other lies. And so what I want to do today is what we've been doing in this whole series. I want to expose some of the lies and I want to discover the truth about, about sex. And, and listen, this is something we all need to hear. I think sometimes when we talk about sex, we're like, well, hey, uh, I'm kind of out of that season of life. This is not really applicable to me. And I would always remind you, what is this called right here? The church. Another phrase, the body of Christ. And that's what this, this assembly is here. It's not just like a get together. <laughs> it's the body of Christ. And here's why we get that imagery in the New Testament is because we are a body. That means you and I are members of the same body. Imagine if your arm or your hand was struggling and shaking and about to fall off. And imagine if your eye said, I don't care. It's just the hand. Like, get out of here. You don't apply to me. We would never say that. We'd be like, no, I care about my hand. My eyes care about, we're kind of joined together in this thing. And so like, I'm going to go to a doctor and get this thing checked out, right? Same way in the body of Christ. That you might not be struggling sexually right now. It may not even be your season or whatever you would say, but there are people, singles, married couples, everybody else who is struggling and they're part of your body and you care about them and you come alongside them. And so you need to be taking notes as you mentor and disciple those other people as you care for them and pray for them. Amen? So this applies to us, us all. And so we're going to look at it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. We're going to look at uh, normalizing the conversation around sex. We're going to look at exposing the distortion of sex. 
We're going to look at pursuing the design of sex and lastly, embracing grace in the midst of a sexualized culture. First Corinthians chapter seven, it says this. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So here's our first point, is normalize the conversation around sexuality and sex. Look at verse one with me. Notice those quotes. I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Uh, You see quotes in that first verse. It says, it is good for man to not have sexual relationships uh, or sexual relations with a a woman. Uh, The reason that's in quotes is because uh, Paul is not saying that. He's quoting the Corinthian church. See, here's what's happening in this whole section of 1 Corinthians is this dialogue back and forth. Apostle Paul, the Corinthian church. And basically, I love the way the message uh, version says it. It sort of poses this as a question. Uh, Hey, Paul, is it good to have sex? And that was the conversation at the time. You see, the Corinthian church, these were brand new baby believers. And their spirituality had been transformed by Jesus. But their sexuality was still the same. You see, this is what happens in the Christian life. You meet Jesus in a moment, you're justified, you're saved. But then over the course of your life, you are then sanctified. That's a journey that you go on. And so there are parts of your life, and some of you can say amen to this, that like financially, sexually, that are still changing, even though you are changed in Jesus Christ. Anybody with me? This is how it works, right? And so these people in the Corinth church, I mean, their sexuality was jacked up. It was TMZ before TMZ was a thing, right? Just a couple chapters earlier, like somebody's sleeping with their stepmom and Paul's having to call that out. And so this is like an ever-present thing in their reality of what does it mean to follow Jesus and be changed by him? So they're having a conversation about it. And what's crazy to me is they're writing letters about it. And in that day, in the New Testament, like a New Testament letter, it was read publicly like this. And so they're they're reading Paul's words about sex publicly. And they talk about like sexual immorality. They talk about uh, being tempted by Satan. Again, they talked about uh, how somebody was having sex with their stepmom. I mean, it's just, it's like this open conversation. And that just, I don't know if you can picture that. That boggles my mind. That was happening in the church of Jesus Christ a couple thousand years ago. See, here's the reality. There's a couple realities we have to get our minds around as Christians is God is not, God is not uncomfortable talking about sex. We may be, you may be right now, <laughs> but God is not. You see this in the book of 1 Corinthians. There's multiple sections where they talk explicitly, consistently about sex. You see it with Jesus Christ. 
You think about that story at the, the woman at the well in John chapter four. Maybe we, we love to talk about that story because it's this beautiful redemptive story, but it starts out really awkward and uncomfortable. I mean, think about it. Jesus goes to a well, a very common place in that day. At a very common time, it was the middle of the, the day just to get water, a very common thing to do. And Jesus right away is like, hey, go get your husband. What? <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, you don't have a husband right now? Like you've had five before and the one you're sleeping with now, he's not your husband. Jesus, we're just trying to get a sip of water. You're talking about sex? Jesus didn't seem to have a problem talking about sex. In the Sermon on the Mount, the best sermon ever, what is it about? The kingdom of God ushering in to the earth. And what does Jesus take a significant portion to talk about? Lust and adultery. You look at the Old Testament. Well, that's like that's God's law and he seems angry all the time and he's judging a bunch of people. Yeah, but also you have the, the book of Proverbs that's all about how to walk in wisdom, super practical. You know, out of the first seven chapters, four of those chapters talk about sex because of the very nature of what it means to, to walk in wisdom as someone who knows God is to do that sexually. You look at the Song of Solomon, again, isn't the Bible like Malachi, he's just raining fire down on people. Like, yeah, but there's also the Song of Solomon where he, he's raining down pleasure on people. And you read that and you feel a little embarrassed about like, at one point in the Song, in Song of Solomon, it talks about grabbing like uh, palm trees. And I know it's awkward, right? And it's talking about, talking about sex. And so, we may be uncomfortable talking about sex, God, God is not. And here's the other thing you need to know, the other reality that we need to face in 2023 specifically, our culture is not uncomfortable talking about sex. Your kid's school is not uncomfortable talking about sex. Your kid's friends are not uncomfortable talking about sex. Your coworkers around the water cooler, they're not uncomfortable talking about sex. Like people in text messages are not uncomfortable talking about or showing pictures of sex, Instagram is not uncomfortable with that. Listen, but they only have the distortion, not the design. But they're talking about it everywhere. Listen, if you're, if you're a parent in the room and you think like, if your kid's in here, man, we love it that you are here, if teenagers in here, and you're thinking like, why did I come to church today? Like, they're gonna hear so much that they've never heard before. And I would say, how cute. No, they're not. They've heard way more. And listen, as the church of Jesus Christ, you need to know, we need to normalize the conversation around sex and sexuality because we have the design, not the distortion. And if the, only the distortion gets talked about all the time and we never talk about the design, how do you think our kids, us, and your friends, and our church is going to be discipled. I promise you, if we don't disciple people, if I don't disciple you around sex and sexuality, the internet will, 100%. If we do not do it, the world will, and that won't work out well. So we need to normalize this conversation. We always tell, if you're a parent in the room, we always tell our kids, hey, mom and dad, when it comes to sex, we are the experts. We've had it. Your friends have not. The internet is not real. Mom and dad, feel me. I'm, I'm real. And we've had sex. And you come to us and let's talk about it. And you're like, Tim, that's very awkward. 
And I would say, yeah, at first it is. Like just this week, I, I just asked my kids, we were on the way back from uh, Page, Arizona for fall break. And I just asked my kids, hey, hey guys, what do you hear about sex? <laughs> and my son had the same response that you did. Dad, what? what? what do you, we're just listening to music driving home. I was like, what do you hear about sex at school? And my, my son's like, nothing. I don't know. I'm like, no, 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 no. We got some time. We're stuck in traffic because we were. We got some time. We're going to talk about this right now. And I, and I actually told them, I just said, hey, you know, I'm sorry. As your dad, like that shouldn't shock you that I just asked you that. We should talk about this all the time. Like we, like parents to our kids, couples, like married spouses, you should talk about sex all the time, about God's design for it. We should normalize this, this conversation. We want to help you do that. We have resources specifically for families, really for, for everybody to talk about this. You're like, I don't know where to start. You can start by asking those, those simple questions. We have resources to help you go deeper, to normalize this conversation about sex. Here's my burden as a pastor. Everybody is struggling with sex, but nobody's talking about sex. And everybody struggles with it. How many of you today, you just raise your hand and say, at some point in your life, you have struggled sexually. All right, the rest of y'all struggle with lying, right? Because we've all struggled with this. And so we should talk about something that we all struggle with. The biggest, we're talking about lies today, the biggest lie of the enemy is that you are alone in this and that you should keep it a secret. Listen, sin grows in the dark. Sexual sin grows in the dark in that lie that I'm the only one who experiences this. And you just need to know everybody struggles with this in some level, in some way. And then the second part of this, the reason why we need to talk about it is because not just that everybody struggles with it, but that we have the healing power for it. We have the design for it. This is a church that's centered on the gospel of grace, not works. Like nobody's here today with their hands raised, singing and declaring and, and celebrating that they are a good person. They are singing and declaring and raised hands and so excited about it because they know they're not good, but that Jesus is good. And he died a death that, he, that we deserved on our behalf. And he rose again and he's perfect. And we worship him because he's healed us and he's saved us and he's changed us. That these broken people sexually and financially and in every other way, that's what this church is literally built on. That's what every song is about. That's what every sermon is about. It's a gospel of grace, not merit. And yet with this one thing about sex, we, we act like, well, no, I gotta have it all together before I can talk about it. We don't do that with anything else. So we need to normalize the conversation about sex. Did I convince you? Okay, point two. Point two, we need to expose distortion. Uh, if you look back at our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, the Corinthians had some things working against them in regard to sex, just like you and I do, right? Twice, Paul talks about temptation. One time he talks about temptation from Satan around sexuality, he talks about a lack of self-control and it's all around this phrase of sexual immorality. Uh, this phrase, sexual immorality, is used 60 plus times in the New Testament. And it's this, this phrase that really one word in the Greek, it means porneia. It is the word porneia. And it's this junk drawer term 
for all of sexual sin outside of a, a covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. And I think it's so interesting as I read this to look at it and see, okay, Paul, why not use the word lust? Why not use the word adultery? We see those words in scripture as well. Why not use those words here? And it's because that Paul knew they and Paul knew you would try to find an exception if he didn't give an all-encompassing word. And so he gives it in sexual immorality. And so this would include, again, anything outside of a, a covenant of marriage sexually. So it would include things like premarital sex, adultery, pornography, which is what this word pornea is, has formed into, things like emotional affairs, things like casual sex, homosexuality, and lustful fantasy. And I know as I give a list like that, it just makes everybody feel good and warm inside, doesn't it? Aren't you glad you came to church today? As we, as we give a list, we, we have, like more of you have struggled sexually than you were willing to admit earlier. And as you get a list like that, it, may, it makes you feel a little uncomfortable. And for some of us, if you grew up in the church like I did, this is where you say like, here we go again. Like anytime we talk about sex in this church, it's always this big shame and guilt fest. And it's always this such repressive, archaic, prude thing. Like Tim, all these, some of these things that you just listed out, those things are normal in our culture. They're normal with the people I go to school with. They're normal with other couples that we hang out with. Like, this is so crazy. This is so weird. This is so out of this world. It's so unreasonable, prude, and archaic. And I would say to you, like, that is the biggest misconception about God and the Bible and Christianity around sex. That God is the most pro-sex one in all of this conversation. See, the reality is God is not anti-sex. God created sex. The devil didn't. Like some of us were like sex, drugs, rock and roll, like all oh, the devil. Like, I, I don't know, like, I mean, it depends on what kind of rock and roll you listen to. But drugs, I mean, devil, sex, not the devil. That's God's. He takes that one. He made that one up. It's too good for the devil. Like he designed sex. God loves sex and God loves you. What he hates is the distortion of it. See, I've said this before. And I think it just explains it really, really well. It would be like if I were to say to you, hey, I hate drunk driving. And you were to look at me and say, Tim, why, why are you so against cars? I mean, what, like, they're great. They get you around from place to place. Like, you probably have a car. Like, why are you? Oh, no, you see, you misunderstand. I love cars so much that I hate when people are hurt by them. It'd be like if I said, hey, I hate child abuse. And I do. And you said, Tim, what do you got against kids? I mean, don't you have three of your own? I mean, they're, they're sweet. They, they're, they're amazing. What do you got against kids? Oh, no, no, no. I love kids so much. I hate it when they're abused. See, God loves sex. He created it. It was his idea. They're asking, is it good? It is God's good gift. It's his. He loves it. And he loves you so much that he hates when it's distorted. See, here's why we have to talk about exposing the distortion around sex is because it's a deceitful distortion. Like even that just sex is just physical, like in a vacuum, you think, well, yeah, it is. I mean, literally intercourse is, is one body with another body. It is physical. Oh, you know, sex like is like an appetite, like 1 Corinthians 6. Like if you're hungry, if you have, God created you with these cravings, if you have them, just like when you're hungry for food, you should go eat. If, you're, if you feel like you want to have sex, you should go have sex. 
Hey, in our culture right now, sex is self-expression. This is the way you kind of come out, let people know who you are and you're, you're over your domain and you're letting everybody know and you're discovering yourself. And all these things kind of seem like, well, that, I guess that is um, kind of true. And it's deceitful, not direct. This distortion is very deceitful. And that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, here's what he's going to say that you do with sexual immorality is you flee. It's so interesting. No other sin does Paul or any other New Testament writer or anybody in the Bible say, hey, you got this sin struggle, you should run away. But sexual immorality, that's what it says. Why? Because it's deceitful. It's not direct. In Ephesians chapter six, it talks about the schemes of the devil, of Satan himself. And Paul tells us in that passage, hey, when you see Satan, you know what you need to do? You don't run, you armor up, right? And you fight Satan. Sexual sin, you run, forest, run. You get out of there. Why? It's deceitful. It's not just physical. It's not just an appetite. It's not just self-discovery. Listen, self-discovery is, implies self-sovereignty, except none of us are all-knowing. Like, I don't know about you. Like, I need, I've been in Phoenix for nine years. I need Google Maps to get to Scottsdale still, right? And so if, if, if I'm self-discovery, if it's all about self-expression and coming into my own, whether I'm in third grade or 40 years old, I am a flawed, sinful individual that has blind spots, And so at some point, our self needs to be submitted to a savior. And we can't just have self-expression. We need to have self-surrender to a good God who designed the sex that you want so bad. He designed it. He knows how it works. He is the ultimate expert. He knows how to to work in rhythm with sexuality. And we don't need self-discovery. We need savior submission to sex the way God designed it. And part of that is we have to expose the distortions because not only are they deceitful, they are devastating. Or you see it in Proverbs chapter five, this conversation around sex and wisdom around it. Proverbs five, verse five, it says it leads to death and the grave sexual sin. The sexual sin, verse nine, causes you to lose your dignity. The sexual sin, verse 11, at the end of your life makes you groan. Verse 14, it puts you at the the brink of utter ruin. That sexual sin is is devastating. And we know that from scripture, but we also know that from culture. There's a guy named Chris Rock, a comedian named Chris Rock, that's recently talked about even in his stand-ups, how he ventured out in pornography and sexual promiscuity. And he said this quote that really stuck with me. He said, hey, you know, I was obsessed with the stranger on a screen in real life. And he said, because of that obsession with the stranger, my wife has now become a stranger. I don't know if Chris Rock believes in Jesus. He's doing a stand-up comedy bit and he used a lot of foul language. <laughs> the whole thing wasn't holy. And yet I think what he said right there is very holy. And it's very biblical, whether he knew it or not. Billy Eilish, 
the great theologian of the 2020s. If you're thinking, who is Billie Eilish? Ask a teenager in the room. They will inform you. She's a musical artist. She was quoted as saying this. I used to watch a lot of porn, to be honest. I started watching porn when I was 11 years old. She said, I think it really destroyed my brain. Sorry, that just got me like I read it the first time. Um, I copied and pasted this from the internet and put it in here, but it's getting me again. Um, I feel incredibly devastated, she says, that I was exposed to that. It's so interesting, isn't it? Like it's supposed to, this kind of like sexual liberation, you have an appetite for it, you go get it self-discovery around sex. And the reason people are promoting this, the reason it's, it's online and this is full in front of your face everywhere you go in our culture is because we're saying it's going to bring liberation. And I can just tell you, it hasn't brought that. It's brought enslavement and devastation. It's like a fire. Enter your fireplace, that fire is warm, it's comforting, it's beautiful. If you ask me, Tim, do you like fire? I would say, in which context? Because fire can burn a house down, it can burn a city down. But fire in a fireplace is very warm and, and you want to embrace it. And sex is like that. It's such a good gift. But if you get that fire outside of the fireplace, self-expression, just unrestrained access, pornography, just flirting with this person at your job or at the gym, just looking, just an image, just physical. It's not going to hurt anybody else. If you start to get that fire out of that fireplace, it will burn your house down. And it may, may burn your neighbor's house down. And how many of us, we've seen that in our own lives, in other people's lives. And so Paul says, flee sexual immorality. I don't see how close you can get to it and not sin. Let me just tell you, you're not the exception to the rule. You're not powerful enough for that. And so if you, if you are dating, you need to put some guardrails in your life to, to flee this distortion, to flee this deception. You don't need to think like, hey, let's have a date night. And um, let's, I don't know, I, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. Anybody ever been there? I don't know. Let's, uh, let's watch a movie. All right. Uh, midnight on your couch watching a movie. And then, oh my gosh, I don't know how it happened. We just like, we started doing things sexually and we went too far. Listen, if you don't do things sexually in that moment, you might not be attracted to that other person. The way you are wired is if you're laying down on a couch at the end of a long day and you're next to a person that you're physically attracted to, you want to do things sexually with them. God built you like that. And so don't try to get as close as you can to that and I'm gonna run out as soon as it, no, you're not. No, you're not. Like put some guard, flee the distortion, the deception, flee in advance. Flee in advance with your phones. Again, parents, if my, my oldest daughter, she has a phone. So I'm not saying like never get a phone, phones are evil, but I'm just saying if you give your kid a phone and you don't put any filter on it, 
You don't put covenant eyes. You don't put a filter on your, your router at home. If you just give your kid a phone, you, it's like you're giving them a stack of pornographic magazines in their closet and just hoping they don't look at them. So some of y'all, as parents, like your homework, you need to think about, hey, hey, what do we, what kind of, like, what kind of accountability software do we need to get? What can we put on our internet at home? What kind of conversations, what kind of time limits are we having? Because as, especially for our kids, this is, this is starting to flood their, and listen, this isn't about shame. This is coming at all of us. I'm not trying to shame you, your kids, your family. I'm just trying to tell you, expose this distortion and this deceit to save you from some devastation that we all know is coming. Put some guardrails up with your, your conversations, your interactions with the opposite sex. Don't just think I'll flirt and it's just for fun. Don't just think, well, like, like I work out next to this person and like it just kind of makes me feel good. And No, it's gonna make you feel really bad when you lose your spouse, when you have to separate Christmases and have two of them with, with kids. And that, you're like, Tim, that's really extreme. I mean, that's just so, like, nobody else talks like this. I don't care who else talks like this. I know they don't talk like this. I know our world is in chaos around sex, and I want our church, and Jesus wants, and Paul wants our church and Christians to be a city on a hill, to be a light in the midst of a darkness. Yet nobody else talks like this and they're all jacked up and it's not going well and there's abuse and there's hurt and there's divorce. And so I want our church, I want your life to be different than that. I want you to be safe from the pain of that. Amen? We don't have to go down that road of devastation. We need to expose it and we need to flee from it. We need to walk with others in the midst of that. You can't do this by yourself. That's one of the reasons why we need to normalize conversation. We need to normalize confession. Again, we all believe we're here, raised hands in the pew because we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? That, that Jesus Christ saves you from your sin, past, present, and future. All of it, even the sexual sin. And that you stand here today righteous. When God sees you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees his sinless son. You stand here today and that's your reality. If you know Jesus Christ, not because of anything you've done or haven't done sexually, not because of anything that's been done to you sexually, but because of the righteousness of Christ on your behalf. Friends, if we really believe that, we could confess sexual sin, receive forgiveness and healing and start to walk toward holiness and wholeness in our relationships. That should be our reality as we expose the distortion and the deceit, as we invite confession in our lives and authenticity and healing and joy. That's available to us. Here's some good news. Y'all look like you need some. Um, Paul doesn't just say, uh, Paul doesn't say flee sex. He says flee sexual immorality. Th that's our third point, pursue design. The, the Corinthian statement of like, is it good or it is good not to have sex? They're, they're basically asking this question of like, is sex a good thing or is it a bad thing that we should just stay away from altogether? And you notice Paul's response is, hey, flee this sexual morality in, in chapter six. And then uh, he talks about it in chapter seven as well. But he, he talks about, you need to have sex in the confines of marriage. 
And it gets a little bit confusing. Some of you may have been confused by this. It talks about like your own body and this authority. And it's not talking about demanding sex. Like husbands don't hear this and be like, hey, your body is mine. Like the Bible said, that's not what it's saying. It's not talking about demanding. It's talking about serving. It's getting at this idea, you aren't your own. In chapter six, it talked about you are not your own. You've been bought with a price, you're God's. But then in marriage, you're not your own, you're you're God's, but you're also not your own, like you're with one another. That's the one flesh to become one. It's not which one, it's a new one, right? So you are now husband and wife, you are one. And so it talks about to serve each other like that in sex. It even talks about, I love this. It says, hey, unless you're praying, you should be having sex. (laughs) Unless you're stopping to pray for a a good portion, like, and you want to pray and fast and be, be holy unto the Lord that way, like you should be having sex and don't deprive one another unless you are. Now, I don't think that's literal. Like anytime you, some of y'all don't pray at all. So that would be a lot of sex. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's what he's saying, right? But what is he saying? He's saying, oh, you're asking, is it good? Let me just tell you how good it is. Don't deprive each other unless you're, unless you're setting a time specifically to pray. So some of y'all married couples, your homework today is pray more and have sex more. Okay. That's pursuing the design that helps you with your lack of self-control that helps you with your, your, your sexual immorality. That's tempting you. That's coming at you all the time. You need to date your spouse. You you need to pursue your spouse. You need to pursue sex with your spouse. You need to, if you, some of y'all are busy. Listen, I get it. We have three kids. We're we're busy. Some of y'all need to calendar sex, schedule sex. And some of you are thinking, that's weird, Tim. And that's because you don't have children is why you think that's weird. Like that's just being intentional. That's just being pursuing design, right? Uh, I love the way uh, a theologian, Uh, said it, he said it this way, sex is God's idea and his good gift to be properly stewarded within his design. The church should be the most pro-sex group there is. Now you're wondering like, which like young 20-year-old hip theologian said this? Dr. John Piper, who's not young and hip, he's in his 70s. Another young hip pastor, retired Said it this way, God not only allows sex within marriage, but strongly commands it. Like that's probably some like husband who just really wanted, like really was like getting after it with his wife and just wanted to, that's that's Tim Keller. In his 70s, actually recently passed away. See, you're supposed to pursue design. The, The Corinthians are asking this question and Paul makes it emphatic. You should have sex within this confines of marriage. It can be like that fire that's in the fireplace, it can be warm and fulfilling. It can be physical, yes, but also emotional. This moment where someone says, I see all of you and I want all of you and I love you. That's what sex demonstrates. It's beautiful. There's all kinds of texts and Proverbs that talk about a lot of scandalous things and Song of Solomon. We don't have time for that. Go read them on your own. Use it as your devotional with your spouse this week. All right, Proverbs chapter five is a good one. Song of Solomon is a good one as well. Here's the last thing is embrace grace. First Corinthians six, nine through 11 says it this way. Or do you not know that their unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 
Here's the good news. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Here's what's happening right now in our culture with sexual sin specifically. With your past, with your current desires is we are defining people by those things. And as I just read this list, some of you may feel defined by being a sexually immoral person, a homosexual person. Some of you may be, feel defined today by being a, a porn addict. Some of you may feel defined by, by, I'm an adulterer. I've committed adultery in my life. I had an affair. And that, that doesn't just, it's not just something you did. It feels like who you are. And what God just said, what Paul just said, is that is who you were as a believer in Jesus Christ. Now you are something else. You are washed. You're sanctified. You're justified. Listen, no sexual sin, no sexual desire gets to tell you who you are. That's your Savior's job. You are his. You are loved. You are washed. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what has been done to you sexually, what you have done. God loves you. And God washed you through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he paid for that sexual sin. And he calls you beloved, not adulterer. He calls you his child, not an addict. Amen? This is, listen, there's no shame over this place. Because of Jesus Christ, you have been set free. If we will trust in him, if we will give him not just our spirituality, but our sexuality. See, here's how we access that freedom and that hope in the midst of our sexuality. We just express our need. We just tell God, God, I, I need you. I'm facing this confusing, chaotic world of sex and I need you. And we do that and we confess, when we repent, we ask God for his help sexually. He's so good. He washes us. He calls us by name. He sets us free. He exposes the distortion. He allows us to pursue the design because he's that good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for an opportunity to talk about a difficult subject, a couple of difficult subjects. God, I just pray uh, for your, your grace to reign in this place, that we would embrace your grace. We would embrace the way you name us as your children, as saved, as adopted, as sealed by the Spirit. And God, I know there's people in a room this size that don't feel that way right now. And maybe it's because of sexual sin. Maybe it's because of sexual sin that's been done to them. God, I pray just right now, supernaturally, by the power of your spirit, that you would invade that, that, that heart, that past memory, that thought, that action that feels so strong, that feels like the biggest event in their life. And you would help them to know Nothing is bigger than the cross of Christ, that that's the biggest event in their life. And that's what they're defined by. God, I pray that you would help a church live like that, talk to each other like that, be in community group like that. And in light of that, be able to be free to, to not silence this issue, but to talk about it. Talk about your design 
confess where we don't get it right. Receive forgiveness. Oh God, I pray that we would be a, a place, a people that would not be against one another. There's so many married couples in this room. God, I just pray that they would be for one another in this area, that as they leave this place, that the grace would reign in their marriage towards healing, towards fulfillment, towards joy that you want for us around sexuality. I gotta pray that for our single people. I pray that for our college students. I I pray for a, a freedom and a grace that's rooted in your gospel that's so powerful and so beautiful that we would believe it, not just in every other area of our spirituality, but we would believe it specifically in our sexuality. If we need prayer for that, to help us navigate that, there's, there's people on the sides that we would sing, that we would come down, that we would pray, that we would, they would seek you and that we'd experience your radical mercy and grace and love and restoration for us. God, we thank you that that's possible today through Jesus. We pray in his name and everybody said, amen. Amen.